Amos chapter 7, verse number 1, and reads as follows. Thus hath the Lord God shown unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord God shown unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this, this also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Let's pray before we get into today's verses. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have it to study and learn from. Lord, be with me now as I try to speak your word, to share your word, to share your message with everyone here. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with our study of the book of Amos. If you remember, we had just wrapped up chapters uh, 3, 4, 5, 6. 3, 4, 5, 6 was a series of three discussions that started each time with the same repeated phrase. Hear ye this word, right? Hear ye this word. And Amos, again use these three discussions to talk about, well, what's our theme of this book, right? What's the big message of this book? Well, if you boil it down to one word, that one word is judgment, right? This prophet Amos likes to talk all the time about judgment. So we went through all these uh, chapters about it. And now that we're doing chapter 7, and also afterwards chapter 7, 8, 9, which is the home stretch of this book, what we're going to see is we're going to see five different visions of judgment that Amos has. Five different visions of judgment. And in fact, we saw the first two just in these first six verses right here. Read the first two visions of judgment that Amos saw from God. And what can we learn from these visions that uh, Amos Amos was given from God? Well, let's look into the verses and see, first of all, what these visions were. What did he see? And then try to figure out what does it mean for all of us. The first vision, in verse number one, it says what? God formed grasshoppers, right? A lot of grasshoppers, it sounds like. So many that they're shooting up left and right, supposedly, right? And it was going to be, then verse two, that they're going to come by and eat all the grass of the land, right? And not only are they going to eat all the grass of the land, it says in verse number one, it was the latter growth. After the king's mowings. What does that mean? The latter growth after the king's mowings. All right, the king's mowings, what they're talking about there is they're talking about the king's taxation, right? So when you're a farmer way back when, living in, you know, two, three thousand years ago, whenever that happened, this happened, right? You grow your crops and you got to give some taxes to your king, right? And after you give the taxes to the king, the remaining crops are yours, Right? And then you can sell them, you can eat them, you can do whatever you need to do with them. Right, So this is after they've already lost some of their crops to the king. Now here come the grasshoppers and they're going to go eat everything. That's what verse 2 says. Right, This is the vision that Amos had. He saw them eating all the grass in the land. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a play, the plague of locusts, right? If you need another biblical comparison, right? This is like the plague of grasshoppers here, right? The grasshoppers will come and eat everything. Hard for us to understand a little bit because, you know, we're not farmers, right? 
and we don't deal with as many insects nowadays because we have like insecticides that kill them all. But this is like a huge, big, big deal for that historical time. That if you have all these grasshoppers coming, that's like ruining your life. You worked this whole year to build up this crop and then the grasshoppers ate it all, you got nothing. You have no, nothing to sell for money. You got nothing to eat for food. What do you got left? You have nothing. So, that's a horrible thing. It was coming to all of Israel. So what does Amos say after seeing this vision? Verse number two, he says this to God. Uh, he says, uh, Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And we're talking about Jacob. We know that Jacob is another name for Israel, right? So talking about your children, Israel. They're just small people. Give the, let them go. Forgive them. Don't send them this horrible, horrible thing with all the grasshoppers. And what does God do? Verse 3, he repented of this, right? It shall not be. So there was no horrible plague of grasshoppers. Let's see the next vision and see how it's connected or related. The next vision in verse number four says this. It says God's going to call up a fire, a fire, right? And it devoured the great deep and eat up apart, right? So the vision that Amos has of this judgment, and we know that the judgment is deserved, right? We read all the previous three chapters explaining to us about all the reasons why, you know, Israel had sinned so much and the reasons why they were you know, deserving of judgment, right? So here comes the judgment here. Fire, right? Horrible fire, going to burn up their land. Obviously, we have fires today, right? Horrible wildfires and all those things. Even today, we know how devastating fire can be, right? And you can imagine it ripping through the whole country of Israel, right? Without, like today, we have modern, whatever, fire suppression, people... Uh, dropping water out of the sky from airplanes and all this kind of stuff to help stop the wildfire. You can imagine back then, if the wildfire really came, it would just burn and burn and burn, right? So that's the vision he had there. Fire. What does Amos do in response? Well, something similar, right? It says in verse number five, Amos says what? O Lord God, cease. I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob, meaning Israel, arise? Again, he says, for he is small. Again, he calls out for mercy on Israel. He says, please, God, this fire you showed me in the vision is devastating. Don't send your fire on Israel. And in verse number six, what does it say? It says, the Lord repented of this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. All right? So you have two stories, two visions. One of a horrible grasshopper judgment. The other, of a horrible fire judgment. What are the commonalities between the two? The commonality between the two is that neither of them happened. They were just a vision. They, they didn't happen. Why didn't they happen? Well, if you look at the most elementary sense, we could say it didn't happen because Amos called out to God, right? You know, we can say at a very basic level, this, these verses here teach us about the importance of talking to God, right? Because the suggestion here is that if Amos didn't beseech the Lord, if Amos didn't call out to the Lord, maybe it would all happen, right? The grasshoppers would have eaten everything. The fire would have burned everything, right? And it's only because Amos 
talk to God, or today we would say we pray to God, right? That we allow God to work his, you know, miracles on us, right? So I think that so much is kind of obvious. I think you guys all know that. The importance of praying to God. And I think this kind of reminds us a little bit of that too, that we still need to pray because you never know, right? You never know. God was be totally, totally justified in sending any of those big punishments to Israel. But because Amos prayed, he decided to be merciful on the people of Israel and not send them grasshoppers and fires to deal with. So, you know, for all the problems that we have in our lives, let's never forget to pray, first and foremost, right? That's an important thing. Talk to God, because you never know when God decides, okay, you know, yay, this guy might be right. I'm going to go listen to your prayer and answer your prayer, right? But we'll see later on that the judgment doesn't always get uh, pulled off by Amos' prayer or intercession, right? And that's because, obviously, God does what God does, right? We don't control God. It's not like we, we command God and, oh, just because I prayed, you don't have to do it, right? But the idea being that we pray and we give God a chance, a chance to do it. And if he chooses to take that chance, we can be happy that he does. But I think the other thing that we're going to look at, especially as it fits in with the theme of judgment, when we look at these two stories here, these two visions in the first six verses here, is what we see is that we see God here being very merciful, right? We've been talking about for the first six chapters over and over again, God's judgment, his terrifying judgment, his judgment in terms of how violent it is, about all these horrible things and how deserved it is, right? We've been reading about all these different things that, that you know, that's coming to Israel for their bad behaviors, and, you know, makes us think sometimes that, oh, God is just so mean, right? All the time, it's all about judgment, bad stuff, judgment, bad stuff. But these verses here are a reminder of this. While we might think that in our head and feel that, the truth is, the actual truth is, our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God that's actually slow to judgment, slow to judgment. Think about this way. We've read about over and over again in the first couple chapters about the sins of Israel, the things they did, not just one time, not just two times, over and over again for years and years and years and years. The judgment was held off against them. It didn't come immediately. Right? If we thought of if we think about what is justice, right? People want like how do I get true justice, right? People want things to be resolved like right away, right? If someone stole five bucks from you and you would say the justice is the guy gives me the five bucks back right away, right? Not, oh, you wait five years and then he gives you back five bucks, right? No delay in justice. God works on his own time. God has his mercy. God doesn't just say, you guys screwed up, you sinned, that's it, you're out. God gives us chance after chance after chance. And because of his mercy, we benefit so much, even though we don't think about it, maybe all the time. 
I think no better instance of his mercy is uh, illustrated than through, of course, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, right? For all the sins that you and I did for all of our life, the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of sins that we've done, the millions of sins that we've done, we can escape judgment. We get mercy. We get everlasting life in heaven because God's merciful. He can say, you know what? You deserve punishment. You sin. I have the book here, the list of sins in your life. There's a spot in hell waiting for you, right? For all those sins. But you know what? I'm merciful. All I ask is you come to my son, Jesus Christ, for salvation, and you can avoid all that. Wow. That's amazing. That is so amazing. That goes against contrary to all of our ideas of what is just and fair and all that kind of stuff. Because that's the kind of God that we have. And we see this over and over again with Israel when we study the minor prophets. Chance after chance for them to repent. Come back to God, right? I'm not going to destroy you yet. Here's another chance. Here's another chance, right? Here's another chance. I want to see if you guys take advantage of this chance to come back to me, to do what's right, to step away from all your wrongdoing. And of course, it's really sad that we know from history that they didn't. But it's not for God's lack of giving them a chance. It's not that, oh, one strike and you're out, right? No, no, no. God gave multiple, multiple chances. Our God is a merciful God. And I think mercy is a concept that's, you know, like that, we, that we understand on some levels, but it's hard for human beings to really comprehend and live out because a lot of times we do think in that same kind of like justice model, like I, what I just kind of gave it as an example before. You think about, I think about my own kids as an example of what, how people think on a very elementary level when they're just going purely on what they feel because, you know, they're kids and they don't think about advanced stuff or whatever, right? They just think what they feel and they act on it, right? So I give you an example of how they evaluate life and how they act, right? So sometimes in the morning, you know, they, they, they're like normal kids. They, fix, they wake up, they fix their bed, right? That's their thing, right? Oh, you wake up, you do whatever you do, you fix your bed. And Andrew, for whatever reason, will do something like touch Samantha's bed, right? Oh, and for whatever reason, this like bugs her to no end. Someone touched my bed, this is horrible. And he, she gets very angry at Andrew. She's like, don't touch my bed. I told you, do not touch my bed. Right? And for me, I just say, you know what? I, when, I, when they start fighting about this, I say, okay, he touched your bed. That's it. That's fine. Let's let it go. Let's move on. Let's get ready. We got to leave the house or whatever. Right? So that's what I say. Right? Let's move on. I don't deal with this. I don't want to hear you guys fighting about this. What is her reaction? Her reaction is, she touched my bed. What am I going to do? I'm going to go touch his bed. I'm going to mess up his bed, right? He just fixed his bed. I'm going to mess it up. And so she does that. Like she flips over the cover on her bed. And now in her mind, it's justice, right? Now it's fair. He did something bad. I did something bad, bad to him. And of course, he looks at this and he goes, you messed up my bed. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to go over to your bed and I'm going to flip off the covers of your bed too, right? And so something so stupid, right? Like, oh, someone touched my bed in the morning, right? 
and it leads to some huge fight in our house where we wind up and I go back in the room and see what's happening and all the covers of the bed are on the floor and two people are crying, right, and pointing finger at each other, saying like, hey, you did me wrong. Oh, you did me wrong, right? Because they're kids. They can't just say, oh, I'll let it go, right? That's what I said. I told Samantha to write the right. Let it go, right? Just forgive your brother. He did something wrong. He touched your bed or whatever, right? Let it go. They can't let it go. Right? They want their, to, to cast judgment on the other side, right? Immediate judgment, right? Not waiting till later. I'm going to get my revenge right now. That's what human beings think, right? That's what's fair when human beings think that way, right? We say, we want this fixed, right? We, you did a problem, deserve the punishment. Now, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I see this play out not just among kids, but even sometimes in, in the work world, right? So I work with staff, you know? I have people working under me. I've had people work under me for years and years. I have secretaries and paralegals and all these things that I'm in charge of. And I've seen work with many other attorneys who are also in charge of the same people. We share the same staff. And I've seen many people deal with staff in like different ways, right? And um, what always stood out to me was this one guy I worked for, right? And he would treat the staff, you know, like crap, right? But what happened is, you know, the staff is human beings, right? And they'd be working and they would screw something up, right? It happens. People make a mistake. They screwed something up, right? And so what we do sometimes is that he would pull them aside after they screw up and then he would yell at them, right? You know, how can you screw this up? You know, we're doing this important, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And he had a reputation for that. Everybody knew like, oh, this is the, the, the jerk attorney, right? That yells at people, right? And stuff like that. And I, I know this because I talked to the staff and they tell me all these stories about this, right? And sometimes just like anyone else, they would, he, he would have to ask the staff to like stay late and work overtime and stuff. And you can imagine how they felt like on those days. They would tell me, like, oh, I hate it. I don't want to be here. This guy is going to is yelling at us and stuff like that. Terrible, right? So, you know, seeing stuff like that, and then also from my own experience, I take a different approach working with my staff, right? With my staff, even when they screw up, my attitude is that, oh, you know, yeah, they screwed up. And I should definitely point it out to them, right? But I've never, like, yelled at my staff, right? I've never, you know, put them down or said I'm going to report you to management or whatever or ask for anyone to get fired or anything like that. Because, you know, I take some responsibility myself. I said, I'm the attorney. I need to supervise you. If you screw up, I'm supposed to be checking you, right? So I say, look, let's work together, team. We'll do it right next time. We'll fix it, right? And I, my experience is those people appreciate it, that, that that's the attitude that I take with them, right? That, hey, you screw up, it's all of our screw up, and we gotta fix it together, right? And I find, at least in my career working with all these staff, that they always say I have a good relationship with them, right? Because sometimes I ask them to work overtime and stuff like that, stay late with me, and people are always like, you know, no problem, Norman. If you want me to stay late, as, as late as you want, right? Because they know, you know, that's the kind of guy I am, right? That's the way. I run the shop, that kind of way, that makes people feel like happier, right? God is like that with us. 
He's merciful to us. He's not always just yelling and screaming and blaming you and all these problems. He's mercy. And his mercy is supposed to be a model for our mercy. Right? You remember the Beatitudes, right? When he talks about blessed are the merciful are the merciful, right? And we see throughout the Bible that God teaches us we ought to have mercy. Why is that? Why is that? Because God had mercy on us, right? That's the Lord's Prayer right there, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? We want to share that message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is that no matter how bad you are, no matter how many sins you did, God has mercy for you. Would it be inconsistent for us in our lives to say, well, God will forgive you for your sins, but I can't forgive you for any of your sins, right? I have to be like, you know, my kids. I got to get revenge on you right away. I have to be like that, bo- that, that one attorney I work with that says, like, oh, you screwed up. I have to make sure everyone knows about it and make you feel horrible about it. No forgiveness, right? No. God wants us to project that same love toward other people that he loved us. How does this play out? It plays out in the way we interact with everyone else. And I give you an example of this, because I was involved in these things once upon a time, and you, many of you guys are involved in these things, like Chinese school and math camp, right? You know, some of those kids are horrible, right? You guys know that. You go to Chinese school, they want to be like talking all the time, not paying attention, destroying property, whatever they do. And you know, if it were the regular school, what would happen to these people? If it was in the public school district or whatever, these people would get suspended or expelled or you call their parents, you kick them out, whatever it is, right? Send them to the principal's office. They get all sorts of punishment. The judgment's coming. You can't do that, right? Well, we can't do that here, can we? Because we're trying to say what? Not only are we trying to teach you Chinese or whatever, we're trying to teach you about God. And we're saying... God is merciful. God will forgive all your sins and you get to go to heaven. Would it be really inconsistent for us to say like, yeah, God forgives everything. But you know what, kid? You're so bad. I can't forgive you. I'm kicking you out of Chinese school right now. Right? Of course not. That don't make, doesn't make any sense at all. Right? People look at us and say, that's awfully hypocritical. Right? You're saying that God forgives, but you, the Chinese school teacher, can't forgive. You, the math can't teacher, can't forgive. Right? Do we want to be known as the Chinese school that makes all our kids cry because they're so sad and they got yelled at or whatever, right? Or the math camp that always expels people and makes people sad. and angry? That's incongruous with what our God is like because our God isn't the one that focuses on let's expel people out and uh, kick them out and punish them all the time. God gives us every single opportunity, every single opportunity to make it better, to make it right. So it's frustrating, I know, for all you teachers, right? Sometimes it's frustrating that you can't say to this kid that's acting up in your class, you know, get out and never return, right? Sometimes you wish you could say that, right? Like, get out and never return and I'll see you never or whatever, right? Same thing with some of you Sunday school teachers. This kid is distracting your class, everyone's not listening. You wish you could say, get out and never return, right? No, we want them to return, right? We want you to return every single week and worship God and, you know, learn better and do more. It's hard. 
But that's God's expectation for us because that's his standard for us. If we didn't have it, you know, if he didn't have that for us, if he wasn't merciful to us, how much worse would we feel? What would it be like if God treated us that way? That, hey, you guys messed up one time. That's it. You go to hell. End of story. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it be? We're so blessed that God has mercy on us, just like he had mercy here in the book of Amos. Let's pray and wrap it up today. Dear God, thank you for these two visions here from Amos. Visions of mercy. God, we're so thankful that you're a merciful God. God, it's hard for us humans sometimes. It's our nature to want to seek immediate justice or revenge and all these things. But may, may we be merciful too so that people don't come to think of us as like unloving, uncaring, but instead be a, a representation of Christ, that we're merciful, loving people to share a merciful, loving gospel with others. Lord, we ask you to help us with this. We ask you to be with all of us in this church as we continue to worship you, to love you, and grow with you more. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.